This podcast is brought to you by the Wharton School at the University of Pennsylvania. Well, the Fiscal Responsibility Act passing in the Senate yesterday, and it's expected to be signed by President Biden today. As for the bill itself, does it tackle some of the necessary issues in dealing with the level of debt that we have currently and will have in the future? We know that it does put off the potential of a debt default. The Penn Warden budget model has done an assessment of the bill. John Rico is Associate Director of Policy Analysis with the Penn Warden budget model, and he joins us to break down the uh, numbers in the bill. John, great to talk to you again. How have you been? I'm good. Thanks for having me on, Dan. Thank you. All right. So uh, we've kind of, you know, understood, you know, what some of the elements are that are in this bill. Uh, Give us your general thoughts on on whether or not we have we tend to address some of the issues of of spending uh, in the process of this bill moving forward. Yeah, so I would highlight the fact that the centerpiece of this bill is a cut to discretionary spending. And it's a two-year cut enforced through budgetary caps. Um, And so with total certainty, we know that over the next two years, spending is going to be about 200 to $250 billion lower than it otherwise would have been. Um, Longer term, though, it's sort of a choose-your-own-adventure because it's discretionary spending by nature, right? It's not mandatory. It's not formulaic. It's not like Social Security or Medicare. So it depends on what Congress does in their appropriations process. If they go back to the baseline that we were on until a couple days ago, well, then this doesn't reflect any sort of permanent shift in future deficits. If, however, and I think this is the, the standard scorekeeping solution, and it's a bit more of a realistic assessment, if in 2026 they say, okay, let's look at where we are, let's benchmark to 2025, then it's likely that we have permanently lowered the trajectory of discretionary spending. There's also the element of inflation that we're dealing with right now and the impact that inflation might have on discretionary spending as well down the road. Yeah, I I think that in general, the Fed uh, is going to welcome any sort of uh, fiscal restraint right now. And, and, um, you know, this is certainly a deflationary impulse from the fiscal side. Um, We haven't done an analysis quantifying that effect, but, you know, there are some uh, people in markets who have who have looked at this question. Uh, I, I saw one estimate saying that it amounts to a, uh, one rate hike, it's, you know, in terms of uh, foregone rate hikes that the Fed would have to do. You talked about the potential uh, impact on on uh, discretionary spending could be as low as what about two hundred and fifty billion dollars. It could be a little bit more. Obviously, that's still to play out. But that is kind of the he- one of the headlines there when we're talking about $31 trillion of debt right now is, is potentially trying to see a path where you can find ways to save and cut on some of that spending. Yeah, Dan, I would emphasize that in the long term, and this is a, a sort of uncontroversial statement among people who look at the budget, the real drivers are on the mandatory spending side, not the discretionary side. So, so the mandatory side is the entitlement programs. It's Social Security. It's Medicare. It's health spending more generally. And that's growing sort of without bound over the next couple of decades just because the American population is getting older. We have a lot of retirements, more Social Security uh, benefits being claimed. And then in addition, Healthcare prices generally have outpaced 
other prices in the economy. And so just as a uh, matter of arithmetic, these are the programs that are driving the long-run fiscal burden. And frankly, as, as we've seen over the last decade or so, there just really isn't a political appetite to, to touch these yeah. programs, right? It's the, the so-called third rail. And so while I'm sure, you know, from a budget hawk perspective, this does represent a, a, a welcome development, just as a, as a matter of mathematics, it's, it's really not going to put a dent in the long-term fiscal uh, situation. And that's going to require a longer-term view uh, in terms of how you get that stuff under control. And you mentioned with those two programs specifically, Medicare uh, and Social Security, we know, especially with Social Security, that something is going to have to be done in the relative near future uh, to focus on the, uh, the trust and, and make sure that there's enough funding longer-term in Social Security. Yeah, that's right. The, the current estimates, uh, for trust fund exhaustion are about a decade away. Uh, there's some uncertainty there, but that's generally the, the, the trajectory we're, we're headed towards. You know, at that point, it doesn't mean that Social Security, quote unquote, runs out. It just means that the incoming revenues will no longer be sufficient to pay for the benefits that have been promised. And if you look at it from a, a, a sort of mathematical perspective, it implies something like a 25 percent immediate cut. Now, obviously, that would be uh, a real disaster for uh, several reasons. And so the earlier that Congress acts to uh, fortify that um, is, is going to make the, the pain a little less down the road. All right. There are lots of, of programs that uh, will be uh, impacted by this bill, uh, and they have been discussed quite a bit in uh, in the recent weeks. Let me throw a couple past you and how much impact there is, uh, the first part being SNAP. Uh, we know that this has been uh, discussed, the benefits uh, that people receive, the SNAP benefits, and how the people will will be able to continue to qualify for these benefits uh, is something that's uh, been, been looked at. Yeah, so the SNAP changes, at least in budgetary terms, are, are quite small. And, and the reason is, is because of this. The age range for work requirements in the SNAP program is, uh, or rather was until this past, uh, 18 to 49 for childless adults. What the bill does is extend that upper limit to 55. So it brings a few more people into this work requirements population. However, in exchange for that expansion of restrictions, uh, the, the bill exempts uh, certain groups, most notably veterans entirely from these restrictions. And so on that, the Congressional Budget Office actually finds that it represents a net expansion in SNAP. And so, you know, these are okay. these are tweaks at the margin. They, they certainly affect the people who are uh, involved, but these are, you know, from a macro perspective, very small populations. What about the Temporary Assistance uh, for Needy Families program? Yeah, so, so that program, uh, TANF, is designed as a block grant to states. Um, so states can, you know, and it's it's obviously a, a cash assistance program for for uh, for families. And what the bill does is is slightly change the formula for which um, states have to track the number of people who are working and receiving benefits, and makes that a little more stringent. And again, you know, uh, when you look at the actual size at the macro level of, of people involved, it's, it's rather small. This scores at less than a billion dollars 
So, um, you know, these are these are pretty small tweaks. How much impact is there to the IRS funding, which obviously has been a big uh, talking point over the last uh, several months as well? Yeah, so this is one of those pieces that's actually interesting because in the bill itself, they took away just $1.6 billion of the recently allocated $80 billion from the Inflation Reduction Act last year. So that's a pretty minor amount. However, it's been reported that there are these uh, quote-unquote side deals some informal agreements, uh, some commitments among President Biden and Speaker McCarthy to reallocate a total of $20 billion of that $80 billion pile uh, from the future uh, and, and reallocate it to spending today on different programs. Now, what we do know um, is, you know, the research shows that $1 spent on the IRS actually generates more than a dollar in revenue saved just from the the additional tax collections um and so it's likely that moving this money from the irs towards other priorities will actually cost the government money and so we're also going to see the student loan payments uh get back into into movement correct yeah that's right that that part of the bill is uh you know i think it's mostly a a codification of what the the plan was already and so you know we and cbo didn't score that as anything additional just a sort of formalization of what the plan already was overall there are savings there but again as you kind of alluded to uh not significant to probably the level that that uh, some people would like to see yeah it's it's um it's one of those things where Congress has decided that a, a, a relatively narrow portion of the budget is on the table for cuts. Discretionary spending as a whole accounts for about 25% of all spending. Um, the rest is on uh, the, those mandatory programs and interest payments. And even within that discretionary spending, that 25%, uh, defense is half. And mostly defense is, is off limits for these types of negotiations. So any conversation that begins and ends with such a, a narrow sliver of the budget is going to have a necessarily muted impact on long-term fiscal imbalances. All right, John, great to talk to you as always. Thanks very much. Thanks, Dan. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. John Rico, Associate Director of Policy Analysis with the Penn Wharton Budget Model. To keep engaged with Wharton Business Daily and other Wharton School shows, visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu.